First of all, thank you for that song. That's very prophetic, actually. And I just want to say all of you, I think, are heroes <laughs> for coming out on 30 Below, only in Winnipeg. <laughs> and for a minute, I just wish that maybe nobody would show up. <laughs> so I am thrilled that you're here, so that means that God has something for us, and I think you are amazing. You're awesome. My talk this morning is entitled, An Awesome God. We're going to talk about awesome. And I'm going to start in the beginning. I'm going to give you a setting as to who I am and what we're all about. And uh, my relationship with God started when I was a little girl. I had to take out the garbage. I was the youngest at that time, and I had to take out the garbage. In the Fraser Valley, there were no yard lights, nothing, and the garbage recycling bin was way, yes, we did recycling back then. We did it way in the back of the yard, and uh, I had to go out. And, and usually, I just looked at the shadows, right? <laughs> Spooky shadows moving. But this time, one night, I looked up, and the stars came and greeted me in the most amazing euphoric moment I've ever experienced. It was amazing, as if I could almost touch them. They just hovered close, and I felt them move, and I felt them live. So I tried to stay out as long as I could under those stars and make friends with them, but then it got really cold. <laughs> so I went up into the house, and that night, I looked at my mom, and I said, Mom, how am I going to get to heaven? I want to go to heaven. I wanted that sky, I wanted that heaven to be there for me, and I wanted to go there again. And my mom was a little bit, <laughs> she didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> so she said, um, well, we can say your German prayer, and then you can let Jesus into your heart, and just repeat after me, or just say your German prayer. No, she didn't say German. She didn't know it was German. To me, it was German. <laughs> And so I said the prayer in German, hoping that God or whoever in the heavens was going to listen to my prayer. And he did. He can understand German. <laughs> After that, I went to church, and I've discovered what it was all about. I discovered what God was, and I think I got a tremendous foundation in the Old Testament. My father was all about the Old Testament. I went to private school. I went to, oh, I went to, back then we went to church three times a week. I, yeah, and then I went to Bible school. It was just full of God and good knowledge. Good knowledge. Enough to, to sustain us to the moment when our daughter was murdered. And I knew enough about God and all of that to say we've got to forgive. And that became the North Star through our journey of forgiveness. So that was a great foundation. But then we heard that they had found the man, and we were facing justice system. By this time, I had worked with enough victims to know that the murder is bad, the justice system is just about worse. They could recover from murder. Most of them didn't recover from the justice system because it is the greatest insulting, dishonoring system for a crime victim. So I was scared. I didn't know if forgiveness would ensure the justice system. So we wanted more, and I think I transmitted my fear to my family because by now my children were adults. And they started talking about their, near, their new hero. And I could, 
and they kept talking about Mike Bickle. And they had such enthusiasm about him that I thought, ah, oh, he's got to be cultish. I'm sure. <laughs> and I heard little bits and pieces of him, and I thought, oh, <laughs> he didn't sound Mennonite. He didn't sound. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so then I did. I was in the back seat of the car as they were always playing his tapes, da da. And then I heard him say that he had come to his ministry on one basis, and God had told him to start with the Song of Solomon, and that was going to be his thesis for his life. I thought, that's weird, <laughs> right? But he said, I have 21 tapes out there. So guess what we did? Cliff and I, and Cliff was of the same mind as I was, <laughs> and we went to a cabin for a week, and we went through and heard all of those tapes, unbeknownst to our children. <laughs> and I wanted to study this man. I wanted to know his heart because we were going into deep, tough stuff. And I wanted to know that we were going to be cohesive as a family. 21 tapes, and you'd think that, you know, it doesn't sound that much, but it was heavy. So we'd only do one or two a day in the beginning and, you know, try and have our vacation. But by the end, we were doing five, six tapes. <laughs> and we were immersed in this. And you know what? I had a paradigm shift. I understood that it was and then he actually did say that the Song of Solomon is probably the best theology in the whole Bible and should be the first book because it reflects the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine that? And I went there and he convinced me. And he talked about the Song of Solomon in such an exquisite way that I have to tell you that he was never dishonoring. He never went sensual. He never suggested sexuality. He did it in an upright way. So I thought, okay, this is weird. For me to change like that? What is this about? So then I went to my church, which is mostly men and I, <laughs> and I suggested that we get together. We women get together, and I had about seven women. And I suggested that they listen with, to the tapes with me. And they did. And we listened to 21 tapes. And we had a fantastic time. So I thought, okay, I'm not weird. <laughs> there is something about the Song of Solomon that is amazing. Now you have to realize I'm also a wannabe romance writer. And <laughs> and at the beginning, I really didn't think that, and it isn't. He doesn't, Song of Solomon is not about really good romance writing. It is not. It's about something else. Now, there are four interpretations of the book. The first is the natural. You know, it's about romance. And some people have taken it that way, and they've, I've heard that it's great, even if we take it as a sexual manual. Is there something about it? I've never heard those. The second inter interpretation is that it depicts the relationship between God as the bridegroom and the ethnic Israel as his bride. And there's tons of, there's whole books of that in the Bible that we know that is a um, metaphor that God has used plenty. He really is caring for Israel in a, in a bride and bridegroom kind of dynamic. Then there's the third interpretation that Jesus is that it depicts the relationship between Jesus and his corporate church. And in Matthew 9, verse 15, it says, Should the bridegroom's friends mourn and go without food while he is with them? Jesus asked, 
but the time is coming when I will be taken from them, time enough then for them to refuse to eat. So in this verse, he's actually saying he is the bridegroom. So that is a solid place, too, where we have that kind of relationship, Jesus and the church. The fourth interpretation, and this is the one that I want to talk about today, is I believe that the Song of Solomon is talking about a very intimate, romantic relationship and his pursuit of us individually. Now, I just want to make sure that we all know that this is genderless, <laughs> but um, it is, it's romantic, a romantic connection, and he is pursuing us in the same intensity that a bridegroom pursues a bride or a bride pursues a bridegroom. It's not husband and wife. This isn't about husband and wife. It is about infatuation, that first kiss, the, the, that amazing relationship. And they say, that research says, that if you stay in the state of infatuation for six weeks, you're going to have mental and health problems because you can't endure that kind of intensity for too long. <laughs> so that's why it wanes after marriage. And we have to find new ways of developing and at least an ebb and flow in that. But that's the intensity. We can't really even endure, endure that intensity, but God is in that, in, in, he can endure that state of intensity. Wonderful intimacy. Okay, and I said kind of during the last study, I said if I ever have to give a traditional sermon, <laughs> I'm going to do it on the Song of Solomon because I want to study it for myself. Well, little did I know that I would ever be asked by my son to give a traditional sermon. Not, I can't tell just stories. I said, can I just tell my stories? He said, no, I want you to do a traditional sermon. And, um, and so then I said, well, I'm going to do it on, the, I would do it on the Song of Solomon. And so here I am. So I opened up my Bible. <laughs> and then I read, this Song of Songs is more wonderful than any other. So King Solomon agreed with me, this, and Mike Bickle, that this is more wonderful than anything other. So we're here looking at something very exquisite. And then he says, kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. I thought, oh dear. <laughs> I'm going to talk about kissing. <laughs> okay, but I thought, you know what? This is God's beautiful book to us. What does it mean to kiss? a divine human being as a bridegroom with the intensity of infatuation. That's where I'm going to go. What does a kiss mean? We can talk about kiss of reconciliation and peace. and You know, there's tons and tons of kisses, but like I've said, we are saying, we're here, that this is a kiss that we will feel that is just like the taste of wine. There's another image there. You know that zing? And, it, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have that feeling of being alive and intense with it. It's sweeter than wine. Yet, we can't really feel or see the Creator. We can't feel Jesus. He left. So who are we left with after Jesus left? Who are we really kissing then? And it is the Holy Spirit that we're kissing. And so that is an amazing kind of the whisper and the kiss of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to the very first kiss of the Holy Spirit. 
with the, uh, in, the upper chur- in the upper room. Remember, that was the very first kiss. And so no, no wonder it was so intense. It was with a new people, with a new body of the, of the, of the Trinity. And in New International Version, Acts 2, verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were filled with awe. That is the moment of the kiss. They were filled with awe. We know then that that was that time. Let's pursue the word awe. There is another awe moment. There's many of them. It's about Paul as he was nearing the Damascus on the mission. Suddenly a brilliant light from heaven spotted and down upon him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And, and we know the ending of that story. And the, and the people around him were caught up in that moment of awe. But instead, they, and they didn't, they didn't say what's going on or anything, but they, instead they stood silent, unable or unwilling to say anything. They had seen a glory brighter than the noonday sun. They were awestruck, and words failed them. Again, awestruck. Commentators say that the, in the Bible there are 53 references to awe, 92 to amazing, 22 to astonishment, 38 to reverence, 109 to wonder. Are you getting the picture? Awe is all over the Bible. We are in awe. Sometimes we see it as fear of the Lord. It can be translated as awe. It's that moment of awe. Okay, now let's come to this contemporary current situation. Did you know that there's a new science of awe? And it is amazing what they have studied awe and what they've gone, what they've done to study awe. There's the forerunner in this is Dacher Keltner, and he has wrote, written the book Born to Be Good. And he defines awe as the experience of awe involves perceived vastness, perceived bigness, perceived hugeness. Anything that is experienced as being much larger than self is a feeling of vastness that becomes awe-inspiring that requires accommodation. The process by which we update and change our core beliefs. What does that sound like? Sounds like a conversion experience, doesn't it? It sounds like me looking at those stars. Wow, this is big. I want that. I'm going to invite that into my life. And uh, so now, what they've studied this, what are the elicitors of this awe? What makes us go into awe? We've never really, I had never really looked at this before. Powerful leaders. When we are in the presence of powerful leaders, we can feel an awe experience. I'm going to take this back into the natural now, and I'm going to say, you know what? I met Zsa, Zsa Gabor. <laughs> and I know that you're going to laugh, but in that room when she was in Jaja Gabor, she had presence. She commanded like you wouldn't believe. I'd never seen a Jaja Gabor. She was beautiful and she was personality plus, and all the everybody, women and men, were falling all over her. Awe. And I sat there in awe that somebody could have that kind of presence. Malcolm Gladwell came to visit me. And I, too, just felt that awe, the original mind coming into the house. There was something that happened. 
Talent. This Friday we went to Manitoba Theatre Centre and guess what, we, we saw Matilda and the awe of talent, those little kids just singing and dancing as if they were stars almighty, it was just amazing. Virtue, we have awe when we see something grand and something beautiful happening. We were in a restaurant having a meal, meal there wasn't very many people in the, in the restaurant and guess what? So we went to pay, and they said the people before us had paid for us. Ah, wow. oh, right? That was a big bill. <laughs> um, and then the storms. They say that even a sailor will pray in the eye of a, in a storm when the, the waves are big. There's vistas. I remember the Mediterranean Sea. When I saw that, I cried. That's another way of knowing that we are experiencing an awe. Russia, walking into cathedrals. They don't even have seats there. They don't have anywhere to sit. Stand. They don't have anywhere to sit because all you do is stand in awe of their architect and their and those beautiful paintings like Michelangelo. Worship. Last night, the songs created awe. They really did. And music. Margaret's voice all day was just awe-inspiring, and, and an awful not, I found the tears in my throat. Grand theories create awe. I remember once when we started to realize the D what DNA is all about. You know what? It's a, it's a little computer transmitter in every cell of your body, and that all of a sudden made me realize that God knows everything what you're doing. Every hair that falls out. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got a West wired. <laughs> wow, right? When you realize the, um, the complexity of that. Theology, discovering songs in a little cabin and moving from a quite pedestrian kind of Christianity into a bridegroom paradigm. Epiphany. This was a moment when I realized we are all chosen. The odds of you being born as you are is about one in 400 trillion. God has chosen you. God has chosen each one of us, and you're amazing. And just look at your hands and try and figure that out. Oh, you know what? I, another moment of awe was when I was pregnant with my first child, and even with my second and third. I thought, you know, my body knows more about things than I do. I can't make it baby. <laughs> and here this thing has grown inside of me. Whoa, right? Ah, beautiful awe. The timing. I remember I had a big political problem one time and I thought I need to talk to a politician but how am I ever going to get the audience to do that, right? How am I going to ever get the time and the appointment? And so we went to a restaurant just out of the I don't know, we were just Cliff and I were just driving around trying to figure out where we we're going to have breakfast, and there was Jacob, the perfect person for my question, and he came and stopped at our table. Oh, talk about awe <laughs> on a lot of different levels. And then encounters with God, those moments when all of a sudden we know God is real. Remember, there's an after effect. We change. We have a sense of vastness. And then comes, they say, in the sense of vastness, we change our attitudes and we feel humble. Our, we are on our knees, awestruck, 
and it ends with love and generosity. That's what awe does to us. It humbles us and makes us love each other more. Isn't that beautiful? Awe. Being filled with awe. And the way you can know this, they say the physical symptoms of awe are goosebumps. <laughs> and a warm swelling of the heart and the, and, the, and the inside. And the expansion is the goosebumps. Awe shrinks our ego, our self-interest, our ego, our natural man, and allows us to love. Awe is a feeling. It changes our body and ends us with tears. The benefits. Remember, this is just an awe moment. The benefits, and this is why they're really studying it, are enhanced critical discernment. <laughs> That's what I need. Creative thinking, imagination. If you want to be imaginative, awe moments. Improved connection, intimacy, love, kindness, generosity, lessening of stress and anxiety. Oh, that's an epidemic these days. It's a new emotion that recon and they say it can reconfigure our sense of time and immerse us in the present moment, which is the antidote for anxiety. Physical health is that it creates, it releases cystonokines which are a T cell, and I don't know if you want to go into again, we could go into a whole physical understanding of the neurological kind of benefits. In fact, if you want to combat cancer, start awing. It releases for something for the immune system. And I think we're all starting to realize this, right? The power of awe. And the most astounding part of this, and this is where I think it applies to all of us, as that Amy Gordon, there are people who have researched this, gathered people's daily reports of awe for two weeks and found that it is surprisingly common and that all of us have about two to three awe moments every week. I mean, every two to three an awe moment every two or three days. Isn't that amazing? So, how are we going to deal with this? One thing I want to say is that we know that it is a portal to God. In Romans 1, verse 18 and 23, it says, But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes. And there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes can see, eternal power and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has an excuse. All we have to do, and this is where most of the research happened, was up in the mountains where, air, where nature is abundant. And so they, they, they started to measure this awe that we see in nature, the awe of the stars. So let's go back to the kiss. The girl says, kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Kiss me, God. What if we started to believe that every time we have goosebumps, good ones, good experiences, and feel the warmth of our love in our hearts, that we think, God, the Holy Spirit, is kissing me. God is right there. Every time we have that shiver, that 
something. We are being continuously transformed as we think of awe and as we go through that. Okay. We don't want to let just this beautiful moment just happen. How do we activate it? How do we incorporate it into our lives? First of all, we need to recognize the awe moments. And that's not just that easy. It's God's way of talking to us. And I, the one that I think I keep thinking of is, um, I'm going to call them the, the snow squalls. They're that tiny, tiny little blizzard that comes. You know, you're looking out the window. One moment, it's all calm. Then you look out, and there's a big storm. And you think it's never going to end. And then it's gone. <laughs> That's called a snow squall. I still remember coming up from the stairs, from the downstairs basement, and realizing there's a snow squall, and Candace isn't home. I linked it to that dreadful moment that Candace wasn't home. So we packed up the kids, and by the time I got them out the door, it was gone. It was a snow squall, a classic snow squall. The funeral, as we laid her body to rest, in the cemetery, not before or after, there was a snow squall. And some people says, oh, you poor things. Everything is going wrong for you. And then I looked at the snow squall, and I thought, oh, there's some comfort in it. I don't know if I could have... I could have held up bore the, the idea of birds singing and the sun shining on that day. You know, I wanted that snow squall. I wanted to say, you know what, this is not good. And let's say it and let's have a blizzard, a tiny one, not a big one. <laughs> Just a tiny little touch of one that I can bear. And there are pictures to prove that that happened. During the preliminary hearing, it was the summertime, there was a huge thunderstorm on the day of the first day. And we all looked. Good. We kind of started to put it together that these little storms were maybe signs that God's presence was there. We didn't wreck, we were in awe. We were always in awe. Thinking, whoo, this, you can't have a snow squall swirling around you with going, whoo, what's this? <laughs> so there was that awe feeling and there was a kind of questioning. But then that kind of, well, is it good? Is it bad? Is it an omen or is it an angel? What is it? It's starting to feel good, but can you feel good about a snow squall? <laughs> then during the deliberation of the verdict of the first one, there was a snow squall. And these were enough to be noted in the media as something unusual. The appeal, there was kind of a sleet snow squall. In Ottawa, in the Supreme Court of Canada, there was a snow squall really funny little storms that people would notice. And they came and they went very quickly. And then when I came home, I thought, Is, are these snow squalls real? Are they really you, God? It would be so nice if it was you. And then I saw two little snow squalls, three little snow squalls, twisters. Did you know they do that? I didn't know they did that. They were hovering outside my living room window. And then there was a crazy wind squall, um, squall that ripped off some roofs in the exchange center on the day of the acquittal. By then, we knew. We didn't care what anyone else would say. We thought this was very unusual that this little storm had followed us right through the whole 10-year process. And by the end, we realized what it was. 
And so when we saw this, even though it wasn't what we wanted, we had that deep sense of peace and presence of God that allowed us to say, we're okay. <laughs> let the cameras come. Let, let, let the acquittal happen. We have our snow squalls and our crazy winds. <laughs> and we know God is there and it's real. It's that awe moment of something, a feeling of vastness coming and descending on us to give us a kiss and knowing that it can transform, it has the power to transform our day. Okay, recognize them. That's a good power. And they're not that easy to recognize. Note them down. Note down your awe moments. Say, oh, this is important. And enter into it. Embrace it. Memorialize them. Chart them. See if there are any correlations. What is God really talking to you? This is how God's kissing. This is how God is kissing you and creating relationship. This is his language. It's through the awe moments. What is he saying to change? What is, what is the next movement? Awe, awe moments move us into beautiful places. Enjoy them. Embrace them. Give yourself to them. You know, um, where are we? <laughs> oh, this last... Friday, when we go to the MTC, we always go out for dinner, and we had a lot of little errands to do around the city, so we were traveling around the city doing our little errands, and there was time, and, and, we, and every time we would stop someone, I'd, say, I'd re- suggest a different restaurant to, for our dinner out, and, 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 then, and then nothing worked out, and so finally we landed up at the Forks, and there a moment was waiting for us, and I think you're going to see Cliff changed. He had an awe moment, and something changed in him. I saw it great topic for dinner. <laughs> but it was an awe moment. And the serendipitous timing of awe moments are there for us to, to watch. And then how do we trigger them? We worship, we pray, we go in conversation, we speak in tongues. They've, so, they've shown that even surroundings are important, that people in poverty don't have enough awe moments. I suggest probably that people in prison don't have enough awe moments. They, they realized that the students that they had put in a bare room didn't have as much awe as those that were in a wonderful hall and, and they could feel and have around sculptures and art, that they had more of a sense of awe. We are often in the society now, they're suggesting, awe-deprived. We just don't have enough awe. We've been coming into, we're not going out enough. We're not going out to the theaters. We're not going out to art. We're not going out to church more. We need to have these awe moments, and we need to enforce them or suggest them to those that are around us. And then make it a habit daily. Look for it. Trigger it. Enjoy it. Chart it. Love it, because that is how God is talking to us. Isn't that just so simple? And to think that we're having them every two to three days, we can, we can up that with just a little bit of beauty <laughs> and good conversations. But it's also another way of looking at the world around us and looking at the person that's sitting in the airplane seat beside us or in the bus or in the store. They're having all moments too. God is kissing the people around us, pursuing them, loving them. 
and wanting to, and trying to draw them, trying to get them to change and love more. And you know, this is a very selfish, individualistic kind of society. We need our moments. They need to find out that they they have these our moments. I remember one time. I didn't even know about all of this, but I kind of, I guess I've always been an awe worshiper <laughs> because of my entry into the faith through that. I've always been kind of keenly interested. So I went to a lot of my atheist friends and I said, Has, have you ever been touched by something supernatural? They said, no. I said, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm not trying to preach God to you at this moment. <laughs> have you ever been touched by something supernatural? They all have. This is our entry, loving them into the awe moments and saying, you know what, I've had that too. And I just discovered, and, and we can even talk about the science of awe and say it's vastness and all this, and by that way, opening their doors and their lives into an encounter with awe, knowing that the awe moment will lead them to Jesus, will lead them to church, will lead them finally into something that is really important in their lives. We know it. This is just another suggestion of entering into the kiss of God and then sharing. We don't want to be selfish with this kiss. This isn't about that kind of kissing. <laughs> this is about kissing so that we can share, so that all of us can be in this long kiss of God. I'm certain that my journey with God, which started with an awe moment a long time ago as a little girl, I didn't know what it was at that time. I yearned for it. I didn't know how to trigger it. I didn't think it was important because the church, when I went, never talked about that awe moment. In fact, they said, you know, really you need to do the evangelism by going up the sawdust trail. Then you've done it. You know, you've done the right. They never really explored that awe moment. In fact, they misinterpreted it sometimes star-studded skies that has been sustained by an amazing awe moment. I have been there a lot once I caught on. And I'll probably, and now I'm, I'm really enhancing the awe moments. I have been. This is amazing since I learned about this. Yes, it's legitimate, and it's doable, and it's it, it's growing, it's, it can become part of our, our in lives, and we can then be happy. We can be happy if we start to immoral, um, memorialize, memorialize these beautiful awe moments. And I know at the end, the best awe moment is coming, the pearly gates. And then heaven is going to be one beautiful awe moment that we would not be able to sustain at this time in our physical beings. So God isn't giving us the full dose of this kiss. It's just a smack. <laughs> but it can change us like, like you wouldn't believe. It's beautiful. So I leave that with you. This week, go into the week and work a jaw. <laughs> Track them, love them, and take care of them, and then we'll see each other again. Dear God, thank you for your awe kisses. Thank you for your presence that gives those goosebumps and the feel of you in our heart. Most of all, Lord, let us kiss you as well. Help us to live in your power and your presence so you can work your awe in us, through us, 
and spread it all over the world because you're in it. Lord, we just thank you. And you are an awesome God. Thank you. Bless you and have a great day. <laughs> and an awesome day.